This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. episode 318 of the craft beer and brewing podcast and for this one i am still here in new mexico this time down in albuquerque and talking with me today for the podcast is dave tachura dave is director of brewing operations for ex nova welcome to the podcast dave thank you very much and uh we are actually in corrales corrales sorry but that's okay we make that distinction here (laughs) you're in the metro albuquerque area we are uh, but not Albuquerque proper. Yeah, we're in the village of Corrales. The village of Corrales. Out down here in the desert. Yep. In uh, the beautiful, beautiful country of yeah. New Mexico. I love it here. Uh, you've spent your career brewing across the Mountain West, everywhere from you know Colorado and Lyons and uh, Longmont and Oscar Blues up to uh, Melvin and Jackson, Wyoming. You've uh, been out at Eddie Line and Buena Vista. And now you're down here in the metro outskirts yep. of Albuquerque in Corrales. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually I actually started uh, brewing for a living in the Midwest uh, back in 1996. So I worked for uh, Rock Bottom Brewing Company. Uh, they opened up a new location in downtown Indianapolis uh, June of 1996. I remember I got my I got my job uh, uh, May 8th. Of 1996, and I started like uh, a week later, and then we opened in June. And then I worked uh, for them at a, another location. They opened up a location in suburban Chicago in Warrenville, where I did a couple years, and that was my head brewer position because I was such a ripe old veteran <laughs> after sure. two years. Sure. And then, uh, and then I worked at, uh, had the really, you sound like an old guy, Dave, which, <laughs> uh, which endears you to me because that's also my generation of getting into, to craft beer. Right. We're going to like trace that arc okay. through brewing for you that, uh, you know, that has just awards like, you know, dripping off of the, uh, the branches on everything from mountain sun, Oscar blues, Melvin and Eddie line. Um, you know, and now, you know, the thing that, uh, that I noticed is ex novo here in Corrales is, has started winning some pretty significant medals. Also, I don't think, you know, the correlation is not necessarily causation, but I think that there's some, some connection there. Nonetheless, through the course of this podcast, I want to talk to you about, uh, some of those things that make for these award-winning beers that, uh, you know, and how you've built a culture around this, how you are, you know, bringing your young brewers up that are here working for you now. Um, but also how you've gone through that own, your own personal journey. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as we have talked about before we started the podcast, like you, uh, you, you know, you've been able to personally track, you know, even things like your own skills around recipe development yep. over time. And those are not things that, uh, you know, were necessarily as constant, um, you know, as some people might think. And so, you know, while you've also been working and improving your own skills, you've also been helping breweries, um, you know, that you've worked for make killer beer along the way and learning. We're going to talk about all of those things, but first for years, G&D Chillers has chilled the beers you love. Partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country, they are proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. They know brewing doesn't stop at five o'clock, nor do they. 
GD uses quality components, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. With 24-7 service and support, your brewery will never stop. Remote monitor your chiller for simple and fast access to all the information you need, providing you with the peace of mind. Your operation is running smoothly. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call them to discuss your next project. You've got some GD, you got a GD chillers out here, uh, Dave. We do, and I can attest to their awesomeness. Uh, they're a great group of uh, folks out there, super responsive. Uh, we actually just had an issue this very week uh, where something bad happened that no fault of theirs, and uh, and uh, they were very responsive when I uh, called for help, and uh, you know, we eventually got things working the next 24 day. hours, you, you got that, that chiller back up and running. That's yep. great, that's great. And, you know, we should say like it's 95 degrees outside right now. Uh, we are in the, like I said, in the desert. Yeah. And those chillers, that chiller is working overtime. It is there. always. Yeah, yeah. Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG, North America's exclusive distributor of Vireman Specialty Malts. For over 140 years, Vireman Specialty Malts has been helping brewers around the world bring authentic German flavor to their brew houses. From caramel malts to the Barca line and heirloom barley varieties, Vireman's Malts are sought after and celebrated for their performance and flavor. Bring a taste of Bavaria to your brew house and explore Vireman's complete portfolio at bsgcraftbrewing.com slash Vireman. That's W-E-Y-E-R-M-A-N-N. And if you hear Old Orchard mentioned in the brewing community, don't be surprised. The flavored craft juice concentrate blends from Old Orchard have shipped to over 46 states. Their new brewing customers often mention discovering Old Orchard through the word-of-mouth recommendation of another brewer. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer. So Dave, let's talk about uh, you know the, the way we normally kick off this podcast. Like, Let's follow this arc, and you've got a rather long and a rather varied arc through brewing. As you mentioned, you started in Indiana and then you moved out to, to Colorado, huh? Right. Yeah. I uh, was a home brewer for a couple of years and uh, started in 1994. And then uh, after uh, badgering somebody who would eventually be my boss at uh, the Rock Bottom Brewery, I eventually got a position there and started my first brewing job in uh, in June of 96, uh, assistant brewer at the Rock Bottom in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, and then eventually was offered a head brewer position uh, for a, a new location in suburban Chicago. Did that for a couple years. Parted ways with them. Uh, eventually found my way uh, after a couple of interviews that I thought were going to go really good. I had an interview with Magic Hat, and I had an interview with uh, Sierra Nevada. I actually sat down with Ken Grossman, uh, personally interviewing me <laughs> back in 1999, 90, 2000, and uh, had me out there and everything. And I was like, this is going well. And then got the rejection letter from that. And I ended up sending an email up to uh, Bell's. And then Larry Bell called me uh, and said, hey, do you want to come up for an interview? I said, for sure, and popped up there sat down with him, had lunch and then, uh, got a job. And so I did a year at Bell's, uh, back that back in the, the year that John Mallet came on board with them and, uh, really helped that brewery get through a tough time. And, uh, and of course, you know, John just uh, retired this year. Um, he really built that place and uh, I'm, that guy is like a God to me. True, true uh, legend. <laughs> I, I, uh, 
every conversation I have with John goes way over my head. Yeah. And I just try to stay and pretend that I can keep up with him yeah. as he starts talking about fan levels and everything else. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So I did a year there and, but I what started a crazy brew system. He's built to that brewery too. Yeah. And that, well, that actually, um, sort of, um, informed how I would eventually look at what a brewery can be from a mechanical standpoint. Um, you know, how many vessels can you put into a brew house and how many turns can you make and all that. And we ended up doing something pretty amazing at, uh, Melvin, I think, uh, to really turn a bunch of brews and, uh, but yeah, it was cool. But at the time that I worked there, they just had the old, uh, 15 barrel brew house. And then they had a 30 barrel brew house on the other side of the courtyard. And I was a shift brewer. I did the things, but I, you know, a little bit into it, I kind of started getting bored. I was, you know, I came up as a pub brewer. I'd done it for four and a half years and I'd like doing all the things, not just making work. And so I just started looking around for a job on, uh, probrewer.com where I've found other jobs since and, uh, including the current one. And, uh, you know, I saw an ad for mountain sun, which I had been to one time before, a couple years before. And, uh, I went ahead and applied for that, got the job and moved out to Colorado in 2002, 2002. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, did that for a couple years. It's, it's so funny how like Mountain Sun is such a like uh, excellence factory, you know, and some of the brewers that have come out of here, that, oh, they're I mean yeah. they're just absolutely. absolutely phenomenal. Well, I'm a huge fan of Cannonball Creek yep. Brewing Company. Um, parted ways with those guys, and then I was I was not brewing for a while, about eight months, and then um, a friend of mine, um, Aaron Glass, uh, she told me one day she, she worked for the Brewers Association. She told me that, uh, an ad was just put out, um, on the forum, uh, that, uh, Oscar blues was looking for a brewer and she thought of me and said, you know, might want to give him a call. And I did. And I ended up, uh, getting a job at Oscar blues in 2005 in Lyons back in the old, the old place. And, uh, yeah. And worked there for almost nine years. Saw a lot of growth. Right. That had to be a heady time there at Oscar Blues. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all, I mean, there's, it's a blur really. I mean, considering how much time there was, uh, it was a, I don't know. I think, I don't think most people get an experience like that in, in their life. I mean, but that's where I really had to learn how to, uh, up my game and, you know, as a, as a brewer, um, as a manager, <laughs> which is, you know, plenty of people can attest to my management skills, uh, back then, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all a work in progress, but it was a tough, tough, crazy thing because, uh, it was a very driven, um, individual, uh, you know, owns the place and, and we had, uh, a lot of stuff and I had a lot of gas in the tank and, you know, I'd go there and just put everything I had into it every day. I would work for weeks on end without a day off and just do it and do it and do it and doing all the things. I mean, it sounds like the old guy saying, yeah, I used to, you know, walk to school uphill both ways in the snow and, and all that. But I literally like would work every day and not give myself a day off because I was crazy, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but very driven. We had a lot of stuff to do and, uh, did a lot of, I did a lot of stuff, you know, I tell, and I tell the folks I work with now, I haven't even told them this, but I used to do all the things I would go in there in the morning. There would not be an empty fermenter. I'd have a bright tank ready to go. 
And I would hopefully have set myself up okay to start filtering in the morning. And I would start up this little three meter DE filter, start filtering a batch of beer. And then once it looked like everything was good, the pressures are looking good. Okay, I'm going to mash in now. And I would be simultaneously brewing and filtering and then eventually empty that fermenter, clean it, sanitize it, and knock out into it later in the day. I would never even think to do that or ask anybody (laughs) to do that. I did that myself. Like I did that to myself. I don't know. I'm crazy. Ambitious. Ambitious. Ambitious, I guess. So that's, that's the story of Oscar Blues and how that growth was possible because you were pushing efficiencies in that cellar and brew house that uh, probably shouldn't have been possible at the time. It was crazy. I think we ended up doing like 17,000 barrels one year. I think I might be conflating that with combined barrelage of our first year in Longmont. But uh, yeah, they did like 3,500 barrels a year before I got there. We did 5,000 and then 8,000. I think it was then 13,000 barrels out of that place. And if anyone's ever seen that brewery, and you know it's a three vessel, twenty barrel, uh, not the fastest uh, brew house in in, in the West, and uh, you know it took forty five minutes to mash in, and it was crazy. It was crazy, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was there. I saw Those it. were the days. I was there. Yeah, and then <laughs> you know, and then we got the uh, the Longmont facility outfitted, and that looked like a big cavernous place until a few years later, it was all full of tanks and canning canning equipment and. Uh, you know, all the, all the things. And then we built out Brevard and I, you know, had a part in that as well. Um, yeah, it was nuts. Insane. So, uh, why'd you leave? You know, <laughs> uh, it, it got, I, I got out of hand for me. I couldn't handle it anymore. It was, I was in over my head and I had been for a long time. Getting older too. There was a guy there who, uh, I, I was so stupid. Uh, he, he threw around this term, uh, the, the, the Peter principle. And, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to pick up that, uh, he was referring to me and that's when, you know, you rise to the level of your own incompetence, I think is the basic thing of it. And I was like, yeah, I, um, I got as far as I could. And like, it eventually, like they didn't need me there anymore. Uh, and I was completely burnt out. I mean, completely burnt out and, you know, it was, it was clear I, I needed to, I needed to go on. So what'd you do next? Um, yeah, next I actually <laughs> had a half-assed attempt at, uh, doing some consulting and, uh, had one client and that was cool. And that paid the bills for a little while. I actually moved down to, uh, uh, Salida, uh, Colorado on the Arkansas river and, um, was, uh, living down there doing that and some good mountain biking down in Salida. It's only Monarch Crest trail, but also just the the trails right there in town there. They've done so much. It is the most beautiful thing. I love it. I I miss it immensely. I used to be able to ride out of my apartment and be on a trail in like two minutes. And, and then they've just expanded those trails so much. It's incredible. I did that last year and uh, right across the river, the the trails that are right there adjacent to downtown are, are awesome. It's beautiful. Um, but, uh, yeah, they ended up, uh, looking on probrewer.com and I saw an ad <laughs> for, uh, Eddie line brewing company. They were, uh, they're a brewery in, uh, Buena Vista. Um, I actually, that was probably the shortest stint I ever had. It was like just short of a year. Then, uh, I got actually got a call. I didn't not seek out Melvin. I got a call one day. I had met Jeremy Tofty like a year or two before at the, um, Alpha King challenge. And that was 
I think maybe the year that maybe the first year that they had won. I'm not sure. But anyway, somehow he and I had exchanged phone numbers. They did crush it. They won two years in a row with two yeah. by four, right? Yep. Yeah. And so he sent me a text and I was like, well, what is this about? And then he called and, and uh, said, hey, we got this thing going on, blah, blah. And, you know, would you like to come up? We're thinking about you for the uh, head brewer position. And I said, you know, uh, sure. You know, you want to have me up? I'll, I'll be happy to pop up there and see what's doing. And so they had me up there for a few days up in Jackson. And we uh, went down to Alpine, which is the town that the brewery is in now. At the time, it was just a scraped area of field. Um, there was nothing else there. They didn't build the place yet. And, uh, but yeah, worked out a deal and signed on with them. I started out as a consultant, but then as of, you know, at some point it went to like, you know, being full on employment and, uh, but yeah, saw every inch of that place being built, um, did all the install of all the tanks and put the brew house together, helped design how the brew house was going to be, you know, expandable in the future. Um, all that stuff. And, uh, eventually we brewed that year, but it wasn't until I think this, like the end of the year, like December, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but we eventually got it done and, uh, we're, we were going really fast there too. Um, there was big plans. Big and, that, and that's where we met, you know, yeah. cause I was, I was up there at the Alpine brewery. I can't yeah. remember the year, but it was for one of their, one of the madness, madness days. days. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, with the wrestling, the wrestling was there. <laughs> I, I almost jumped in the ring. For whatever reason, <laughs> I thought it'd be a good idea to bring my two young boys with me oh boy. and camp up there. Yeah. Um, and I've got some phenomenal pictures and memories of them, uh, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Father of the year. <laughs> S- something like that. <laughs> but yeah, that was a wild ride up Trial there. by fire, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a, that was a wild time. Um, you know, the, the beer had a great reputation and, uh, you know, that's where I felt I, I, I'm really proud of what I did up there actually, because I took, you know, three barrel, three barrel recipe beers and scaled them up to 30 barrels. It was like, here's the grain bill. Here's the, here's the hops. And, you know, sometimes I had alphas and sometimes I didn't. And, uh, (laughs) it was i felt like i was doing like forensics man it it was weird because there'd be like three different recipes for the same beer i'm like well which one (laughs) which one do you want me to make and where do you want this thing to be and i remember early on too there was like hey dave uh you know the the ipa is a little sweet okay cool let's fix it you know like that's fine like okay like i mean i'm just going off the information you gave me i see the starting gravity i see the final gravity I'm nailing those. If that's too sweet, then that's fine. Let's, let's, let's work on some mash temperatures and some grain bills and, and, you know, and, and fix it and get it to where you like. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I was like, it's okay, man, we can do it. All this stuff is possible. But that's where I felt like I really, uh, you know, helped create a place, you know, I mean, I did it Oscar blues too, but, uh, I felt more confident doing it in at Melvin. Um, you know, I hadn't, I mean, I'm a, I don't have a formal education in brewing. I just been doing it my, most of my life, you know, more than half my life. Uh, at that point it was not quite half my life, but we're there now. And, uh, the, the, the that's only, a real challenge, like taking these beers that have now a metal winning pedigree mm-hmm. and this kind of hype in an industry at this 
incredibly small scale mm-hmm. and figuring how to make figuring out how to make those packaged beers. Yeah. You know, because packaged beers also need to be able to like live on in a retail cooler and and survive you know, long su- travel survive long <laughs> right you know it's like deal with sometimes less than perfect conditions along the way absolutely um work in all of these these other kinds of ways you know yeah 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 for sure um yeah uh, that 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 place had and still has all those challenges of of like they're making all this beer but it's most of it's going out of state and you know, to have the, the right distrib- distribution partners to make sure that the beer is in the best condition it can be and, and getting, you know, getting bought before it, you know, goes, gets coated, all that stuff. Uh, it's tough because Wyoming is the least populated state in the union and uh, very little of that beer is sold there. It goes everywhere else and in a really crazy market, you know, that's really competitive and you know, that was the thing, like logistically up there, just bringing all the raw materials in from hither and yon and then sending everything out. Like there were times where we could- Hither and yon, you're so close to hop growing country. You b- grow barley in Wyoming and there are maltsters that are, yeah. uh, you know, up in that general Wyoming, Montana area. It's not yeah. that far. Yeah. Come on, come our, on. Our, our, our Turo came from Canada, but uh, yeah, I guess it's like right up the road. But uh, but also the fact that we're in a town of 900 people in a, in, a, in a geographic location where it's winter like half the year. I mean, and there would be times where we would have weeks would go by where no trucks would come to us to either give us stuff or take stuff away. And because they would get to a point where they're they're like, oh, I got to go up that highway and it's January and that's no, that's not happening. And, you know, Wyoming's not known for its great uh, road uh, clearing capacity in the middle of winter in towns with four people. Uh, so yeah, it's really, it was really challenging. I remember us just and your packing. Close, yeah. Your closest major metro area is Salt Lake city yeah, and four hours away Yeah, on a good day. And, uh, yeah, we, we were hours away from an interstate and, uh, and it was challenging, uh, to do anything even in the best of weather there, I think at times, but we did it. We, we did a lot of cool stuff there. I'm really proud of what I did. Um, it was, it was tough to, you know, get the place staffed. That was my main question when I started talking with the, the, the principals in that company was who's going to work there. This is a town of 900 people. And it's at the top of this Valley that doesn't have much, much more than that, you know, down South, like where are these people coming from? And it was tough. We had to bring people from out of state. Um, I hired people from all over the place. I hired a, our lab manager worked at Maui brewing company, uh, brought her in. Um, we had other people come from just all over, you know, Colorado and, um, gosh, I don't know where else, <laughs> lots of places, California and you know, sure, just, just sure. wherever. And then, but we hired a number of people who were already residents there as well. And, uh, you know, got, did our, did our best to make a go of it, you know, but it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. So then you, uh, you decided to come down to New Mexico. I did. Yeah. I, um, I got to a point where I just was ready for a change. Um, it was really tough, you know, living in a town that's that small, uh, I'm not necessarily a big winter person. In fact, I will uh, say this. I lived there for four years. I never once went downhill uh, uh, downhill skiing. I cross-country skied on some property that I had. 
but uh, I never once skied uh, at uh, at Jackson Hole. It wasn't a big thing for me. I started. I didn't start skiing until I was 30 years old when I moved to Colorado. Not a big thing. I was like, no, nah, I don't need to do that. I'll probably break my leg. Um, it, and so I just like, it's winter. It's tough. It's a small town. Uh, we had some issues there at, uh, Melvin that I wasn't really, you know, proud of, um, being associated with. And, uh, and I saw an ad for ex novo brewing, I had never heard of them before. And, uh, and in Corrales, New Mexico, I'd never heard of that before. Contacted them, said, Hey, here's what I can, here's me, here's my resume and, and all. And, uh, they contacted me back and said, yeah, let's have you on out to Portland so they flew me out to Portland. I spent 24 hours there, uh, hung out in the brewery all day, first day. And the next morning they gave me a job offer and I said, that's great. I'll see you there and I'll start on the 1st of January. Packed up all my stuff, which isn't a lot, into a small U-Haul trailer. And I drove on down over the course of two days, just me and my trailer and my cat. And, uh, and popped on in and uh, got, I got into uh, Albuquerque on the 31st of December of 2018. And I started uh, on the 2nd of January of 2019 here at Ex Novo. And here we are. Well, we'll, uh, we'll now dive into, uh, you know, how you have, you know, put your imprint on the Ex Novo beer um, and the beers that Ex Novo makes and the beers, you know, obviously that, uh, um, have now been starting to to make waves within the craft beer industry. Before we do that, take your brewing to the next level with AccuBrew's revolutionary fermentation monitoring system, now predicting specific gravity. With AccuBrew, you'll have precise control over the fermentation process and ensure consistent, high-quality results. Their cloud-based app and compact sensor work together to monitor specific gravity, fermentation activity, clarity, and temperature – AccuBrew is CIP ready and designed to stay out of your way. Their set it and forget it solution streamlines systems and processes, confirms consistency, and helps detect problems before they ruin a batch. Join the AccuBrew community today and experience 24-7 peace of mind. Visit AccuBrew.io to learn more. Also, ProBrew is excited to announce that they are currently featuring short lead times between two and four weeks for their in-stock ProFill rotary can fillers. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, fill out their contact form on www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. And elevate your brewing game with RMS Roller-Grinder. Their industry-leading mills deliver optimal grind consistency, unlocking the full potential of your grain. Say goodbye to uneven grinds and hello to exceptional flavor extraction. Brewpub or production facility, RMS has the expertise and grain handling equipment to meet your needs. Visit rmsroller-grinder.com to discover how RMS can transform your brewing experience. Unleash the full potential of your grains with RMS Roller Grinder, the trusted choice of brewers worldwide. So Dave, let's talk about the the Ex Novo uh, generation now, this, this era of your career. You come into a brewery at Ex Novo where... Um, you know, and they, they got their start in Portland and, ha you know, Oregon and, 
Um, but Joel, the founder of Ex Novo, is from New Mexico right. and, you know, saw an opportunity to kind of, you know, bring that Ex Novo brewing love back here, you know, to a, the state that he was born in. And, uh, um, so, I'm, you know, I mean, Portland's obviously a very crowded brewing market and, you know, New Mexico has some phenomenal brewers. Um, I was just at La Cumbre earlier before we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, some of some brewers, brewers that are like clear favorites of mine. Um, you know, so you walk into Ex Novo, what are the expectations and uh, what did you hope to achieve down here in Corrales? Yeah, uh, the expectation was uh, they already had this building uh, set up. It was still getting some like finished wire wiring and some other construction elements done, but it was for all intents and purposes here and ready to go. Uh, Ten thousand square foot building. Uh, they already had all of their equipment mapped out, um, <laughs> which is which is unique stuff uh, that I'd never uh, worked with before. We have a five barrel and a twenty slash 25 barrel, uh, brew house, uh, and they're integrated so we can pull decoctions, uh, on into the five barrel. Uh, it's a very, ton. very cool system Super with these cool. two systems adjacent and piped together so that they can work in tandem. It's great. Yeah. It's really cool. So they had all this stuff really well planned out, um, you know, between, uh, their own, uh, design, um, ideas. And then also they consulted with some, some friends of theirs in the, in the Portland brewing community and, uh, including a long time, uh, friend and former uh, co-worker, although we worked at different breweries together, uh, Van Havig uh, out at Gigantic, uh, I, I'm told, uh, helped them with some of the things that they were trying to work out. And they had this great plan together. And yeah, the idea was they wanted to get somebody to lead the production here who could make it happen, you know, and just hit the ground running and, um, you know, uh, have a, a brisk pace of, uh, of, of production to do what we can. And that's been what I've pretty much always done since I got into the production brewing. It's true from Oscar blues now, then to Melvin and now at X Novo, you're, you're, you know, the slice of the uh, industry that you're an expert at now is apparently the thing scaling quickly and, and, uh, being able to make large amounts of beer fast. Yeah. Um, and, and to do it, you know, hopefully, uh, while still winning some awards. If that happens, great. I mean, that's never my, you know, motivation. I mean, my, my main motivation as, as a brewer, you know, besides, Hey, I need to keep a roof over my head. Uh, and you know, those basic things, but as far as like creating beer, making beer, I still have the, the thought that I had forever ago, which is like, I get to make something that people enjoy, um, you know, that hopefully adds some sort of value to their life. Um, and not everybody gets to do that. And like, but you know, and, and as cheesy as that might sound, I mean, that is the, that is how I feel like when it comes down to it about being a brewer and, you know, and to be able to have the opportunity to have someone trust me to make their vision a reality. Like that's huge to me. Yeah. It, it's, uh, and it's, and it's cool. And I'm confident enough now. I, I, I generally, <laughs> I hadn't been in the past. I always have some feelings of self-doubt, but, you know, but I'm confident enough to say, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, throw them at me. You know, what do you got? And, and uh, you know, they already had a bunch of, of, of beers and award-winning beers in their own right. And, uh, you know, they were brewing out in Portland and they wanted to brew some of them here, um, including our flagship beer, the Mass Ascension uh, IPA. And, uh and they, and some other brands and, and, um, 
yeah, let's scale them up from 10 barrels. And so we scaled those up and uh, started working on them. I'm not, uh, I will tell, tell you this, I'm not the best uh, when it comes to like water chemistry guy. You know, as long as I've been doing this, I'm really not the best water guy. Uh, our yeah, water you is- You were gifted in places that just had gray water for most of your career. For a lot of it, for sure. Uh, our water here is very good. Um, it's, it's great. This is the first time I've ever worked in a brewery that actually we are- we use well water. Uh, we have a well, it's about 300 feet deep and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard, but it's not the hardest, worst water I've ever worked with. And so I've managed to make, uh, you know, really good beers in, in worse conditions. Uh, but, uh, so we've, you know, we've, we've had some things that have developed along, along the way, as far as our water goes, we do use, uh, an RO filter and, uh, but we don't have the biggest, the most scientific way of dealing with that and how much of it gets portioned into the well water. Uh, we just kind of let it fly, but, uh, uh, we've had great success, uh, dis- despite my shortcomings. <laughs> so, so to follow up on that, you are ROing a portion of your water, but not the entirety of your water. No, not everything. Uh, it's pretty much just, you know, is we, that a, we due, have some opportunities. Is I that think. due to the, mechanical limitations of the systems you have or is that built on a kind of philosophical approach to incorporating some of the untreated water into the whole beer yeah it's nothing philosophical it's purely mechanical okay uh we have some opportunities thank you for being honest about that because you could certainly (laughs) wax uh, poetic about i'm i'm uh unfortunately i don't have i i i i i I won't bullshit you uh no it's uh you know we've got some opportunities to uh come up with more sophisticated means of uh how our water is mixing um, and making adjustments as needed. I think that's really where, um, our head brewer who's been here for almost a year and a half now, uh, Ryan Hillsland, uh, he's really upped our game when it comes to the water. Um, and I applaud him for that because yeah, I've always been intimidated (laughs) by it to a degree. And, uh, you know, it's like one of those things like, man, I know all this other stuff. Like, I don't know how to learn. I don't know. But, uh, it's, uh, he's, he's done a great job. Uh, I think which, which is most evidenced in, uh, our hazy IPAs. Um, I honestly had never made a hazy IPA except for one attempt, uh, which is the last beer I ever brewed at Melvin was our first pilot brew of a, of a hazy, uh, there in Alpine, Wyoming. And, uh, I don't know how that turned out. It probably wasn't that authentic. And, uh, and so, you know, we had some, some fits and starts with our, with our, uh, um, hazy program here and we because we are always making them we have one as a, a regular uh, brand for us uh, the walk the bind is a hazy ipa that we make throughout the year and then we do a bunch of other one-offs um ryan really made those much more reliably good and uh and really made some great stuff and you know he's 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 been a, a huge asset sure sure so i want to i want to talk to you about uh you know, tackling beer design now, you know, because that is something, you know, as we were walking through the brewery earlier, you mentioned that you didn't really feel confident as even a recipe developer. You know, there are all of these skills, uh, you know, as a brewer, you know, from the making the things Mm -hmm. and operating, like pushing the buttons and moving the liquid from here to there and doing all the things that are involved and like, working to hit those numbers. But then in addition to that, there is that creative process of envisioning 
how the recipe that you develop and the ingredients that you incorporate into that become this thing that you then move through this technical process, you know, and you, you know, as you mentioned, didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing that up until, you know, maybe a decade ago. I want to talk about that and and how, you know, how you developed on, on that side of your skill set. Before we do that, oh, you like wildly aromatic IPAs and tropical lagers. Good thing Omega designed thialized yeast for just that reason. Thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. And wait, there's more. Omega Yeast makes yeast to order with a consistent one-week lead time, ensuring peak freshness and reliability. Also, sustainability doesn't have to cost you more. Try Robert's PolyPro multi-pack can handles designed for sustainability and cost savings. Grip pack rings are biodegradable, an average five cents per unit. Craft pack carriers are recyclable and designed with 30% less plastic. Plus, you can save up to 25% on costs. Enjoy easy application with inline applicators and 24-7 support. It's easy to go green with these multi-pack handles. Visit go.robertspolypro.com slash cbbpod to request free samples and start saving today. Hey, please use that link so that they know that you heard it right here on the podcast. Uh, that's go.robertspolypro.com slash cbbpod. And ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They're proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of the brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. So Dave, let's talk about this. Uh, you know, Let's talk about developing your own skill set in recipe development yeah it was a long road uh i before i uh you know got my first brewing job i had been a home brewer and i was quite happy to just follow whatever recipe there was uh available and i really didn't even start all grain brewing until just a few months before i got my first brewing job once i started with rock bottom uh you know i learned the mechanics of the things, you know, making the pumps work and all that stuff, putting, you know, one thing into this tank and one in the other and, and carbonation and all those things, but basic mechanicals, uh, as far as recipes though, uh, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, we had a, a program that was developed by an awesome dude who you should talk to sometime, Mark Youngquist. I don't know if you, if you know him, you should, I'll get, I'll, give you his contact number at some point. Uh, Mark Youngquist was the director of brewing operations at, uh, at, uh, rock bottom at the time. And he developed uh, a brewing recipe program and, uh, that everyone got to use. And so that's what I use, but I wasn't really understanding the mathematics of it and all. And definitely, you know, any, any education that I would, that I would, uh, give myself for recipe development was based on like a lot of the books that were put out by the association of brewers at the time. Uh, you know, they had like a style series and, you know, so we'd read up on those things and okay, percent this and blah, 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 try to make the things, you know, but we were, you know, kind of flying blindly really, uh, in a lot of ways, despite, yeah, we're hit the gravities, but are the flavors right? I don't know. 
I was still, you know, just getting into craft beer itself, you know, over the course of the previous few years and, and didn't really probably have the best palate and wasn't going to be super critical of my own, uh, things at the time. Uh, but when I, you know, and in fact, <clears throat> they offered me a head brewer job, uh, a year into my tenure there. And I was like, I can't do it. Like, I don't feel like I can do that. Like, I don't have the skills that are involved. Well, you've been doing it, but yeah, I don't think I can do it. And really, I think the, a lot of it was, I just don't feel like I could just create something without having some sort of crutch. And, uh, somehow I got through that, uh, for years. And then, uh, when I worked at mountain sun, um, I had the opportunity to do some recipes there. I still didn't know the mathematics and, uh, and really I, everything I did was just based off of, okay, this recipe for this gravity beer use this much malt, this. And so I would just like look at percentages and say, okay, I'm going to use this percent of caramel malt and this much, you know, Maris Otter. And then we'll, you know, the hops forget about it. I mean, what the hell? It blew my mind. It really wasn't until 2009, uh, that, uh, I finally feel like I got the educational aspect that I had been missing, uh, to really help me with that. And that was, that was doing the, uh, um, brewing and malting science course that the MBAA, uh, does um, in Madison, Wisconsin. So I did that back in 2009. It was a two week course on site back then. They do it differently now. Uh, but, uh, two weeks in Madison and, um, and it ran the gamut of, of things. It was for all sorts of people. It wasn't just brewers who were there, people who work in the brewing industry in some capacity, but there was a very, um, focused section of the instruction that was ba that was about recipe development and calculations and, and these things. And there it is finally, you know, and so, and I'm sure I probably missed other, uh, opportunities that were available to me at the time, you know, that I just didn't know about that. Like, Oh, well they're right here. Here are the calculations. But as soon as I did that, I finally felt like legitimate. I really felt like I was coasting for all that time before, you know, where, yeah, I could work. I'm a hard worker. That's probably my number one asset. Um, I will work like a dog and, uh, but the finesse part of it was, was always wanting. And so once I got that knowledge, it was like, it really opened up, you know, the, the opportunities for me to develop, uh, further. And so that's what I, 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 I just ran with it after that. And I just felt really confident and, uh, and I'll tell you this, it wasn't until just a few years ago. I mean, I was, I would always hand, right? I've got log books full of just handwritten calculations for my recipes for everything handwritten. Uh, I finally just a few years ago, just made a really simple spreadsheet <laughs> with the calculations and stuff. And I had never used like another, never used like a, a commercial. Yeah, Dave, they make software. I know. They can do but that, I, those I, calculations I know, for but I, did, I made my own. Uh, but yeah, I never, I never, I was always proud of like, oh, I don't use that. Uh, but anyway, it's, uh, and yeah. now you have to work with a team that does know those things yeah. and does want to use those tools. Yeah. No, it's actually the, the, that simple spreadsheet that I, that I made. That's what, you know, we're using here in general, you know, so I, I gave that to our head brewer. And so, you know, it's all sound. It's not very sexy, but it works. And, uh, but yeah, so I, you know, but really that was 2009. That was after a long time of making beer for a living and, you know, but 
and I, you know, I was telling you earlier, it's like, ah, I wish I could like teleport back in time and try the beers that I made way back then before I really knew what I was doing and critique how horrible they were or, or two, since I do have a couple uh, copies of some uh, old recipes around, like make one of those today and see how horrible it is. <laughs> you know, that would be a hoot. I really, the teleportation thing would be the best. Cause I'd be, I'd love to go there and just like, you know, critique the hell out of my beers. <laughs> You know, so so something like threat level turquoise. You know, you won gold oh, yeah. for it. That would have been a pre Ryan beer. Um, you had to have some hand yeah. in that. Talk to me about developing this beer that won GBF gold in the American Strong Ale, you mm-hmm. know, category. Yeah, here, you know, in the Metro Albuquerque area, Corrales, and you know, in particular, I don't want to get this wrong, so you don't <laughs> correct me again. Um, you know, but you've got. You know, like I said, other brewers like La Cumbre, Elevated Project, Dank, perennial winners. Like, you know, they, you've got killer West, well, I guess they're West Coast style IPAs. They're very dry, mm-hmm. lean, expressive, but also have a very particular, almost like, you know, there's kind of a New Mexico character mm-hmm. to some of these that feels different than, say, you know, those Portland, Oregon West Coast IPAs, mm-hmm. which maybe feels a little different than the kind of, you know, San Diego West Coast IPAs. Right. You know, for you, how do you, how do you think about some of those differences in IPA, knowing that you have made beers, you know, in that variety of styles? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you mentioned the threat level turquoise and uh, that one, that was one where, you know, it came up on the calendar. Hey, we need another West Coast IPA uh, for whatever month it was. And yeah, we're going to do X amount of barrels of it and it's going to get canned. And, uh, and so I, I love to collaborate. Like, I don't want to be just dictating like everything that we do. And so I open it up to everyone who worked here, uh, in production, like, Hey, we got an IPA, we got to do West coast. Um, I'm thinking we just go kind of old school hops, you know, would be great, but what do you all think? And then people just started responding. This is on Slack to this hop, that hop, that one, boom, boom. And so I just use that information and, you know, and said, okay. And also what do you want think for gravity and, and all that alcohol. And so I just took it from there and just made a pretty damn simple recipe. Uh, and you know, I learned a lot about hop usage, um, from my time at, uh, um, Melvin learned a hell of a lot there. Uh, I remember actually thinking that my math was wrong when I scaled up recipes and all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking at this, like, like, I don't know if that's right. Am I really going to throw that much hop into a 30 barrels of, uh, in the whirlpool, you know? And sure enough, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what's happening. That shit's right. And, uh, so I learned a lot with that. And so I apply, uh, just as, a pretty simple thing. Like how much, what percentage of IBU do I want to, uh, have in each of my hop editions? And, uh, you know, where do I want these to, to be? And of course, you know, yes, I want to have a pretty decent whirlpool, uh, hop. And then of course we're going to dry hop the hell out of it. Um, but yeah, I just kind of take it from there, you know, and we, and we tend toward, where did you end up on this? And now I'm curious, like if you think about hot side hops Mm -hmm. and something like this, because you want, you know, the, the trend these days is to push everything into the whirlpool, but at the same time, you have to have some supporting cooked hop flavors there that, uh, 
that kind of, you know, build that broader spectrum of flavor to it. Yeah. You know, yeah. where do you end up around that? I really, um, I got into the idea of, you know, yes, a lot more late hopping, obviously, but you got to have some bitter in there or else you're, you know, for a West coast for sure. And, and not just bitter, like quality of bitter, mm -hmm, like yeah. bit, bitter itself. Like we went through that in the 20 aughts, you know, yeah. like we had ragged bitterness that yeah. just like felt gross and yeah. overbearing and bitter. Yep. Like you can make a 150 IBU beer that just like, you know, you want to like scrape your tongue after the fact, yes. Yeah. You know, and, and that's yeah. not what you're, what you're making these days. That's no. not what any brewers. By the way, how do you make. like that beer uh, that you just. It's delicious. Consumed? Yeah. It's, it's not delicious. bad. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's pretty emblematic uh, uh, of, of like where we are. Uh, we don't want to make it so bitter and, and a coarse bitterness that, uh, you know, has, is, is a challenge to drink, uh, but it needs to be there. But, you know, we want to get a lot of flavor and as much aroma as we can, uh, but, and still have this quality bitters. How do we do it? I don't know. I just, Oh, Dave. <laughs> oh, come on. There's I, more to it than that. So, I, you know, I, so, put, I generally, yeah. I think when I, when is I, is it hop choice? Is it hop product? We're you not know? doing anything fancy. Okay. Uh, although we did start, you know, we, we're just using CTZ for, uh, our yeah. early kettle edition, uh, with mass ascension, but it's an early kettle edition yeah, and yeah, not we'll, a mash op or a no, first that's a, No, I think we're, I think that's a, like an 80, 80 or 90 minute edition. We do an hour, hour and a half boil on that. So I think we're a 90, 90 minute edition of CTZ. Uh, we also and a kind of lower percentage of overall hop load or. Oh yeah. It's not very much. I, I think I'm, I'm looking at, I think that one is at like maybe 20% of the IBU. I okay. think we're, we're looking at that one. Uh, but that's so CTZ plus we use, uh, some, uh, warrior, uh, extract, um, to just try to take some of the hops, <laughs> some of the, 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 you know, actual physical material out of there. So we can maybe have a fighting chance to get a little bit of better knockout volume. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's, that's what we do there. And then we do like, I think it's a 20 minute edition of, uh, you know, a couple hops and then how much, uh, of the hops going around then? Um, I think we're looking at like probably another like 30% and then, uh, and then another, another edition, like just before we turn the steam off and then a boatload goes into the, into the whirlpool. Sure. You sure. Know? And then we just hope that we get a, a nice, nice troop pile and good separation and, you know, don't try to knock out too fast so we can, uh, creep that wort out of the kettle, you know, out of the, the whirlpool and get it into a fermenter. Sure. So you have your early hops, you know, CVZ and warrior, you know, extract that are flowable that you use there are there other hops through that hot side process yeah. that you lean on that you find make it through oh, yeah. you know we have we've all seen the survivables info and you know like everyone's paying attention to what hops have things that will actually make it through some of that that kind of process mm -hmm. are there some that you do use then and some that you don't use as much because uh, you don't find them conveying as well yeah well i mean we use a lot of simcoe and uh, Centennial. Yeah. And, uh, a decent portion of mosaic, uh, in this particular beer. Um, and we use a lot of Simcoe in general, uh, for our IPA. What do you love about Simcoe? You know, um, 
it's a it's a damn good all around uh, IPA hop. I mean, it's got all the things that you would want in it, and you know, and it, depending on the crop year and depending on your supplier, you know, you're going to get various things out of it. But I mean, when you want it, it's kind of like. I don't know. It's kind of like maybe Chinook maybe used to be back in the day with like giving you like some of that good piney stuff that you want, uh, as well as giving you some, some citrus qualities and some just, uh, just general great IPA character. Uh, you know, so we, we dig that one. That's a big one. I'm actually heading out to Yakima, um, in a few weeks just to, you know, just for that, just to do selection on our Simcoe from our supplier out there. Um, big hop for us. And Centennial is huge too, which I love the fact that it is still, I mean, that's, that's a pretty damn old school hop at this point. Um, and I hope that maybe has changed a little bit, huh? Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, I, I like it a lot. I mean, I, I realized, uh, years ago, uh, working at Bell's, you know, that's the, Oh goodness. The, yeah. The, the only player in uh-huh. two hearted ale. Sure. And, uh, that's. You know, that was a big eye opener, man. Like making that beer, getting, getting to make that beer. And that, you know, that beer was a a, a big, uh, a huge one for me, you know, before I got to actually make it and to see how simple it was. It's a really simple recipe, um, really simple, uh, process with it. And back in the day, that was an untold amount of dry hop. They used a pound per barrel. (gasps) Yeah. A pound per barrel. Can you imagine? Shocking. It was Shocking. insane. And uh, so, uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it's cool. Though. I, you know what I love about that hop, though, is like, I don't know if you ever cop this yourself on it, but strawberry. Like, yeah, some fucking strawberry in that. And, and it's just, strawberry kind of goes with everything, you know? And so if you find the right mix of some other character hops, um, you know, that are in that realm, find the right proportions it's uh it's a it's a huge player and you know and, and it and it just does so magical saying things that bells selects their centennial to express that strawberry character in it i can't speak for them but i'm you know i i'm pretty sure they must be i mean they're, they're like the yeah. biggest buyer of centennial in in the united states i think when you're selecting simcoe what you know what is what is that character that you look for in the same you know for the centennial that you select um well, the main thing is like trying to stay away from anything that's like on the diesel end, uh, you know, because it's amazing. What, I don't know if you've ever been to Hop Selection, but if you haven't, I highly recommend that you do it. Um, if you can, you know, find out, that would be a great podcast for you to do. Uh, and go do the thing because it's, it's remarkable the difference that you will get for a certain variety from one field to the next from the same supplier. Um and let, you know, let alone between suppliers because everyone's using, you know, so, so many different farms and, and such. Um, you know, you just try to find the, the things that are like, Hey, how's that, how's that fruit? You know, get some good fruity notes in there. Uh, you get some good pine and resin, you know, I like to have that, um, to a degree, uh, try to stay away from, like I said, stay away from the, like the, the, the overall diesel stuff, the garlic, of course, uh, stay away from that and, uh, just try to find something that has some character. And it's amazing you know, when you actually do the side by side, uh, between a few lots, you can see it. And especially if you have someone else there corroborating your thoughts, uh, that's always helpful. It's always best to have multiple people, uh, do these things. But, uh, I, I feel like 
I feel pretty confident that I can select some good hops, you know, as, as a solo act. I've done it before and do it again here. But So you go through the, the hot side process here, you know, with these hops. Let's talk about fermentation and dry hopping, you know, mm-hmm. in the, specifically in the, you know, in the scope of West Coast IPA. Okay. Yeah. I mean, fermentation wise for our West Coast, we're uh, just letting everything ferment completely. Uh, is there, do you, is this just standard uh, USAL, American Ale, uh, yeast, oh, Chico? Yeast yeah, it's essentially a Chico. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and so uh, ferment that down. We try to get hit about two Play-Doh. Uh, for our final gravity. Um, and uh, after that, we'll uh, just do like a soft crash to like 50 degrees. And then the following day, drop some yeast out and then dry hop. Um, we're, and we're just chucking them into the top of the tank. We, we did a little trial with some sort of hop contraption uh, earlier this year that didn't really seem to be helping the cause and just seemed like, you know, not a good fit for us. And so, yeah, we're just old school. Hmm. Old school, throwing them into the top of the tank, and I love what that. What was it about this? Uh, you know, it was just like a purgeable vessel. Vessel yeah. that, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we it wasn't we, worth the trouble, or was it? It uh, just seemed like it wasn't. It wasn't doing what it was, you know, supposed to be doing. As far as like, oh yeah, you can get better contact, you know, with with the hops. Use less hops. You know, when, anytime you introduce another beer transfer into your process, it, it is a major opportunity for things to go sideways. Uh, I really like keeping things simple if, if at all possible, you know. So th- you were, if I'm following, you were trying to recirc through an external vessel. Yeah, it was like a hops. seven barrel or five, five or seven barrel like tank essentially that, uh, you know, throw your hops in there. It had some sort of a, you know, V-wire, um, uh, you know, a wedge wire screen situation that and then you you know circulate beer from your tank just the whole process of that you know having to go use your racking arm in the bottom of the tank and then i feel like you're just like you're always going to get yeast in there and then I, I get worried about just beating the yeast up and getting off flavors from that uh from the impeller on the on the uh, on the pump you know it's a centrifugal pump and the process just did not seem to go smoothly. There was clogging uh, of, you know, hops. Pelletized hops are a real pain in the ass uh, if they are in a, you know, a tube and they get wet uh, and they're not moving. And then they will just sure. solidify in there and just be and just not move. And so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's just not good. Um, you know, we tried a situation up in. Uh, up at Melvin as well for dry hopping with a, a similar type of contraption. Let's throw them into the top of the tank, <laughs> you know? So, you know, yes, but now you're, especially if you're talking about Melvin, you're throwing a veritable, like this is my technical term, shitload, you know, a, me- a metric, a, a, metric shit ton, metric shit ton of, of hops into that, uh, that fermenter. Yep. You, you, I assume you don't just throw them in and like, you know, cross your fingers and hope for the best. No. I mean, we had a whole thing with like, we're going to CO2 rouse, you know, yeah. blast some CO2 in there, uh, through like, you know, either the bottom of the tank or the racking arm pointed up, uh, to try to agitate the surface, you know, to make sure you're not just getting a flotilla of hops on the top. I mean, you have to visually look at that too, because that can happen, uh, especially back 
you know, uh, I, I, at times, like if you don't have some sort of rouse going, and it's probably even better to do it while while you're throwing the hops in to have some bubbling of CO2 uh, in in the tank, so that you're just kind of coaxing those hops to go into the beer as opposed to just piling up on top. Cause I've seen that before. It's like, Oh yeah, look at all this hops on top that aren't in contact with any beer. What a waste. Uh, that's happened in the past, but it's a lot better than the alternative, which back in the day, I remember, uh, dry hopping a tank at, uh, Oscar blues and lions and <laughs> the hops were such poor quality. And I was so stupid to, to even use them. Uh, they were so hard and had such a glassy finish to them because they were too hot when they were processed. You would throw them into the top of the, the hop dry hop port and you would hear them hit the bottom of the tank. <laughs> plink, 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 plink. And then I remember having to extract uh, beer from that, from that tank. We could not empty that tank because there was so much hop. It was completely filled the, uh, drain pipe on the bottom of the tank. Uh, I had to get in there with like, I don't know, a drill or something <laughs> to try to, I remember sticking a piece of wire or something in there and just trying to get that all out. It was just a bunch of, of, uh, of impacted hops. You gotta, you gotta feel that these days when people are complaining about, hop creep as a result of lower kilning temperatures yeah. that like, yeah, it wasn't so great before either. So, right. uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fix this problem in its own way, yeah. but, uh, be the alternative is, it's probably even worse for sure. And also speaking about hop creep, I am so glad that that is something that eventually got out into the greater brewing community because we experienced it a long time ago before it was ever like something that, I remember seeing like the BA or the MBAA or anybody uh, uh, broadcasting. We experienced it firsthand at Oscar Blues. We're like, what the hell is going on? Why does this beer taste weird? Why do we have this weird thing happening? We have these biotransformation issues uh, with one of the beers. And, uh, and then also, yeah, like it's still fermenting. Why? What the hell is going on? Um, Biotransformation issues. <laughs> this biotransformation is changing the flavor of my yeah. beer, and I don't like it. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. we made some uh, horrible beer uh, out of that. Yeah, and unfortunately, tried to market one of them that I wasn't real happy with. But you know that 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 happens. You you know, you try to make make uh, lemonade sometimes, but uh, hop creep. Yeah, and so it was really. But at the time, you're just like, well, I don't want to talk about this we're probably doing something wrong it's probably our fault you feels know? embarrassing right? absolutely like, it must be our process absolutely and that's but that's it was after you know that because we were also having some uh, acid aldehyde issues at the time too and that's where i learned to reach out and ask for help there are people who can help with these things uh maybe they're going to be helpful maybe they're not i mean uh you know we brought somebody in to help us with the acid aldehyde issue gave us some great ideas on things. Did they pan out? I don't remember them being overly, you know, like, Oh yeah, that was the silver bullet, but at least we did it. And I felt so good about it because we, otherwise you're going to languish, you know? And I think that's a, a probably a, a problem that a lot of brewers have is they don't want to ask for help. You know, I think, you know, we talked earlier, it's like, I was afraid to ask for help. I, you know, I'm a brewer. I've been doing it for a year, two years. I must know what I'm doing. I didn't know anything. I didn't know shit. And, uh, but 
for damn sure I'm not going to ask for help, you know? And back then there weren't as many resources as there are now. And we talked about that too. It's like, there are so many resources that I don't have an ego when it comes to, uh, my beer making. I always assume that I, I do okay. I make good beer. I can make it consistently that kind of stuff. I can, you know, operate, uh, you know, production facility, blah, blah, blah. But if I don't know how to do a certain kind of, make a certain kind of beer or some certain aspect of, of, of creating one. And if I can't find the answers myself, I have no problem asking for help. And so I, I've been a contributor, not as much as I should be on the, uh, the MBAA, uh, ask the brewmasters. And, uh, so I'll, I'll throw stuff at them. You know, I got, we actually have a thing, uh, now that I want to, I'm just waiting for some, uh, some more, uh, data. And, uh, so I can present a good question, a good topic and say, Hey, we're experiencing this issue. Someone out there has had that same problem. Sure. And getting over your, 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 uh, ego, uh, about asking for help is like the best thing you can do as a brewer. Um, because all this shit has happened to somebody before and luckily we work in an industry, uh, in a craft that, uh, is, uh, super open, uh, with knowledge and information. It always has been. Uh, and that's the thing that I love the most. I mean, ever since I've been doing it and since before it's, it's beautiful. You know, I mean, there was a time when, uh, we were taking beer from Oscar blues up to the Anheuser-Busch facility in, uh, Fort Collins for testing of various kinds. Once the Belgians bought them, they stopped doing that. But before that, they were doing it. They're, like, that was super generous of them. And, you know, and so to do that from a macro to micro thing is is, is incredible too. But I mean, but just among us as smaller brewers, um, there's a lot of information out there and people who are willing to help. And I'm among them, you know, like I'll help anybody any day. You know, I've had people call me people who have sure, worked with sure. in the past people i met in the past hey you know you, you ever run into this and i'll give them my two cents on it and and i do the same with them it's great you mentioned early on that in in the earlier days of your brewing career you weren't a great manager how did you get better at this you know and, and this isn't necessarily like you know a, a brewing process question yeah. but it is something that you know we you know, since you started in the brewing industry, you know, there were what a thousand breweries when you started and now there's 9,600 or something like that. I mean, this multitude of additional breweries and what you, we have now in the brewing community is a lot of folks who maybe have a passion for beer and a passion for brewing, but don't necessarily have that experience in managing teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as things scale and grow, as they do, if you make good beer along that process and find the customers for it, often you find yourself having to then lead a team in a way that you may not have had to do before. You know, it's yeah. a different kind of position. I've been in the same position in my career in the past, having to manage a team of people rather than being just the person that does the things. And, uh, you know, it, it yeah, I have spent some time in counseling with HR in order to understand how I can better and more effectively do those things. This was, you know, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, like, 
you know, you don't necessarily automatically come out of life as a great manager that can develop the skills of your team members and build an integrated team that can effectively work together. What are some of the things that you've learned through your career of having to now build and integrate those teams? What, what has made you a better manager? Um, yeah, probably, uh, a, a lot of, a lot of it is just having some humility, uh, you know, and I'm still not a great manager. Um, I, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'll tell you that yeah. right now. Like I, I have my foibles for sure and I'm not proud of it. You know, um, it's tough. It's it, at times, uh, when you feel like this is, you know, I have to tell yourself sometimes it's like, Hey, we're not saving lives. We're making beer. <laughs> and sometimes I have a hard time realizing that. And, uh, uh, and I've been short fused and, and things I've, I've gotten a lot better, uh, about that. But I think a lot of it is definitely having some humility, um, and, uh, is very helpful. Um, if that's your nature in general, great. If it's not, uh, you got to work on it cause, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, I come from, I worked by myself a lot and so, and I'm my own worst critic. So, uh, I would talk to other people like I talked to myself, which isn't always flattering, uh, and uh, and definitely not conducive to a good working relationship. Yeah, it's been tough. I mean, the the, the time at Oscar Blues was really hard because we were growing so fast, and so many people. Uh, I got way in over my head, but also didn't want to uh, admit that, you know. Um, and uh, you know, and the whole company was over its head. It wasn't as if the whole company had the resources to help all of the individuals in the business grow and develop as the kind of leaders and team leaders that they needed to along with the business. I mean, these are all things that need to grow together. Right. Yeah. But you know, when you're growing that fast, yeah. it's hard to pay attention to all of these pieces that you need to pay attention to, to grow effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really, really tough. Um, but you know, now I feel like I'm definitely, a lot better. I, I think I've calmed down a bit. <laughs> uh, I've become more thoughtful. Uh, but no, like I said, I still err, you know, um, there are times when you just want to say what first pops into your head and, and then luckily you catch yourself and, and take a breath and, you know, and realize this isn't, we're not saving lives. You know, as long as no one's getting hurt, uh, here, there's not really that much to get upset about. Right. Um, I don't want anyone to do, uh, you know, the number one thing, I, I just want everyone to be safe. I want them to do their work. Uh, the last time I think I, you know, got a little, um, you know, course, I think in, in, in how I spoke to somebody was because of a safety thing, because I want to make an impression on that person. Don't do that because that will really fuck you up. And, you know, I think that people don't realize that, you know, and I've, I've survived this long doing what I do without any major catastrophes. There's been things I've got scars. I've got, you know, things, uh, that have happened along the way and, and my body's beat up and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, still got all the, all the fingies and toes and, and, uh, and my eyeballs and, and all that stuff. And I want other people to do that too. So, but as far as, uh, just general management, I just try to lead by example, um, with how I approach my work. I like, a, a good orderly 
neat, clean work environment. I like really copious note-taking if you're doing a process and you're doing the thing that you are taking legible notes, you know, and I try to instill that in people. Uh, I need people to communicate if you screw something up because you're going to. And I tell people, guess what? You're going to screw up. And guess what? I've done all that and more. I've screwed up more than you probably ever will, more than I ever hope you ever will. But you're going to screw up, but you have to fess up to it, you know? And so I try, I get upset when people aren't honest. Uh, I have a problem with that. So I try to, you know, make that a thing that people know. Um, but, uh, in general, you know, I just try to lead by example. I'm a hard ass worker and, um, and I hope that people see that. Um, it's just my nature. I don't know where I got it from. I don't, I really don't know. It's just how I've always operated no matter what I've done. Uh, but I'm thorough and I like to keep things orderly. My home is a mess. It looks like I either just (laughs) moved in or I got, I'm getting evicted or I'm squatting, but I like this place to be a place of order. We know we have a team. We got a lot of people here. You know, most we've ever had, we got like a dozen people working in here and it's all, it's all our responsibility to make this place harmonious, you know? And so I try to, I try to exemplify that. And if I, can't, then I need to find a way to make that happen. And I'm actually in the middle right now of trying to come up with a way to communicate some things that I would like to see change for the better. Um, that doesn't seem like a didactic, uh, thing from some guy who sits in the office sometimes. Sure. Sure. Well, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about, you know, you're almost 30 years, maybe 30 ish years, I mean, if you really look at it decade by decade, this is your fourth decade in the brewing industry mm-hmm. that we're into right now. Yeah. What what do you hope to achieve? What's left for you in brewing? What keeps you going day to day other than the paycheck? Yeah. And what would you are there any is there anything left that you really want to accomplish? That's a damn good question. Um you know, I mean, I think about these things. I'm 52 years old. Uh, I'll be 53 in a couple months. I don't know how many people my age are still doing what I'm doing, <laughs> especially up until the last couple of years when I was actually like running like all day, like brew shifts and cellar shifts and stuff. It's like, I don't know how many 50, 50 year old guys are doing this kind of stuff. Um, I know uh, a but, number of them that are going back to that. Yeah because they missed it so yeah. much. That's, that's the trend these days. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually cannot remember the last, uh, time I brewed and I don't, uh, rue that or anything. And I'm not above brewing again, but you know, at this point with the crew that we have, if I, if I end up having to brew, then, then something really bad happened. Uh, but, uh, but I still, you know, I could do it. I could still go up there and, you know, turn it, turn out a couple, couple turns and, and, uh, and everything. But, uh, for me, you know, I kind of hit the wall a couple years ago, uh, regarding the, you know, the whole creative thing and not being, you know, feeling like I'm the guy to lead this still relatively young, although established, uh, brewing concern, uh, into the future. And that, but I felt that I had other things that I could do. Um, and that's what I'm doing a lot of right now is like, I'm dealing with our mechanical things, even though I'm not a, chiller specialist. I'm not a air compressor guy, but I can, I can do the things in general. And if I need to call for help, I can call for help. But 
Um, so I'm making sure all the mechanical things work. Um, I'm trying to help develop, uh, some of our, uh, leadership folks in some areas, uh, to at least give them my, uh, you know, my two cents on how, you know, they could possibly improve and, and be better leaders for their teams. And, um, and that's a good place for me to be. I haven't really thought about too much more after that. I hope I just, my legs still work for the next, you know, 20 years or so. And I can still bebop around and, you know, my eyesight doesn't get out on me and I can, you know, hopefully get better at some things. I would like to, uh, get better with the mechanical stuff. Um, you know, I, I still feel like, you know, breweries, I mean, it's what, it's, is what I've done, you know, and, and I, and I'm most comfortable. I spend more of my time in my workplace than I do at home usually. Um, and I don't regret that either. You know, I mean, it's, like I said, it's one of those things we get to do something that the end product is something that people enjoy. And that's a huge motivator for me. I don't know what else I would do. So as long as I'm in here somewhere, uh, you know, but it seems like a lot of, uh, old brewers turn to doing sales or something, but I don't think I have the, the, uh, the personality for that, but we'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll all of a sudden be the most gregarious person in the world. We'll Doubt see it. if brand ambassador is in your future, <laughs> but, uh, but in the meantime, yeah, keep keeping this, uh, brewing ship running, uh, seems like it's, uh, it's enough to I like keep it. you busy. It's gratifying. And I like watching people develop and, uh, you know, and we have a lot of, uh, a lot of good people here and, uh, you know, and I, I hope that they all see the opportunity, you know, and that's what I, you know, tell people is like, you're the future of this place. I'm not, I'm going to be dead at some point, you know, like you guys are the future of this place and there's so much opportunity. Um, and so I actually made a, I made this box that, uh, is eventually going to be adorned with some sort of a thing to just like ask Dave or something like that. And it's just going to be something just to try to open up some, uh, communication and, uh, of, of like, Hey, if you're afraid to, talk to me for some reason because I'm some kind of an asshole or don't want to message me uh, or, you know, about something or you, you feel shy about, you know, something, Let's throw it in the box anonymously. And, you know, it could be anything like, what do you know about this? What, you know, what's the deal with that chiller? What's the deal with the, the auger, you know, and, and uh, you know, or whatever it might be. Uh, and so just to try to see, like, I've, I've got, I've got a lot of experience with some things. I don't know. I don't want to be some guy just like, okay, cool. I'm going to do a Dave raconteur hour or something like that. But uh, maybe if we can get people to not put things, just, you know, crash things into the box, that would be great. <laughs> but I'm sure that'll happen too, but that's okay. It's humanity. You know, someone's always going to put something awful in there. <laughs> of course. Well, Dave, we've been talking for a while now. I, you know, I, I, I could continue to, you know, probe into the depths of your brewing history for, for much longer, but I think it's probably time to have another beer instead. Like so beer. let's bring this to a close. G&D Chillers to set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. BSG is North America's exclusive distributor of Vireman Specialty Malts. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends your next craft beverage. AccuBrew gives you unprecedented insight into the fermentation process. ProBrew's rotary can fillers can take your packaging to the next level. RMS roller grinder mills unlock the full potential of your grain. Omega stylized yeasts bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your molten hops. Go green with multi-pack candles from Roberts Polypro. 
and ABS commercial is your full service brewery outfitter. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode and any others, go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button. Become a subscriber to the magazine, both of our magazines for that matter. Uh, Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine as well as the Brewing Industry Guide Magazine, depending on where you fall on that pro spectrum. Um, we've got media products for all of you, and that support is the thing that makes a difference for us. Um, Dave, if people want to learn more about Ex Novo, where where can they learn more? Well, we're on all of the social things. If you put in exnovobrew.com, you will find us. And we are on the Instas and the Facebooks and the whatever the other thing's called, I think. No, we're not on the other thing. And uh, yeah, and then we're just right down here in the beautiful little village of Corrales just outside of Albuquerque. It's a cool little spot, all kinds of cool uh, things happening. It's like a farming community. There's dirt roads and horses and vineyards and there's another brewery right down the street and uh there's some good restaurants and uh it's a really really great place and we have mountain bike trails not too far away that i am going to uh experience myself tomorrow morning i will be there with you if you are so inclined oh hell yeah Uh, i would love to show you around it's a fantastic community here and uh and then and we have this beautiful beer garden uh which uh, is in constant development it's been uh we opened it just i think a couple years ago and uh it just keeps getting better and better every year and the trees are growing and the grass is growing it's quite a a compound an ex novo compound down here yeah 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 well dave thanks for joining me for the for the podcast it's been fun to catch up it's been fun to like retrace our own experiences through history here uh um, it was almost 10 years since I last, maybe nine years since I last, uh, you know, since we met. Holy moly. Um, I know, right? Where did the years go? I don't know. Uh, and here we are in different contexts and a different place, but uh, you're still making fantastic beer. Thanks for joining me and talking to me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And a baba buoy to you all. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. 